Let me pray once more in thanksgiving. Jesus, these gifts that we give, they're gifts of thanksgiving. Lord, not of uh, pleas for intercession, but the rejoicing of the abundance you have given us in Christ. So we give them to you freely. In your name we pray. Amen. It is a blessing to be with you all this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 10, 19 through uh, 11, 3, kind of an interesting session. Y'all have been doing a series on the fruits of the Spirit. And as we go and look at the fruits of the Spirit, uh, you know, this is kind of what I was thinking about. I, I was, last night, I was, or yesterday afternoon, I packed my bag. We kind of had a busy day. We were coming from Mobile. I'm going to be gone away from home for almost two weeks now. And generally when I pack a bag, I actually do have a hard time remembering all the essentials. And unfortunately, I had 30 minutes to pack my bag, which is, I don't know, maybe that's plenty of time, but, you know, kind of finding, like, your clothes that are in different places in the laundry takes me a little while. And when we look at the fruit spirit, this is what came to my mind. This may sound like a weird illustration. But is that the fruits of the spirit, they're kind of the essential things of the Christian life. They're those essential things that, that we pack in, that Christ intends to build up in us. There's actually a lot of other things that could be said that are growing. In fact, Grace, for example, is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, and same with the works of the flesh. The works of flesh, there are a lot of other things that Paul could have called out and, and called our attention to, things that are supposed to be put off. But as we look at the fruits of the Spirit, and I'm sure you've heard this, these are, these are things that sit at the core of the Christian life, of what God is working in the Christian to build up. It is His work of bringing him into this reality that he is a new creation. And I think faithfulness, I mean, uh, of all of them, it's one of those ones that we see just prevalent throughout all of Scripture. It, it's, like, it's like your underwear in your bag. You have to get it. It's one of the most important things to get. You have to pack it in your bag. Faithfulness is that. And as we look at that, this is, this is what we see, a kind of an interesting reality. Faith, faithfulness in, in, in Galatians 5. It's actually this interchangeable word, faith, or faithfulness, or faithful. It's one word that actually means all those things. And so I think the most appropriate thing we can do this morning is look and understand both the reality of faith, something that we as Christians use a lot. If you were to type it in your concordance in Scripture, it would come up a lot. And how faith, and the thing that we have our faith in, moves us towards faithfulness. How the faith we have in Christ moves us to faithfulness to each other and faithfulness even more so into our mission, into our understanding and our work as those who are called by Jesus' name. So I want you to have that in mind as we look at Hebrews 10. I believe the passage is actually in the back of your bulletin. Uh, Or maybe it's just highlighted, I'm sorry. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is open for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And Jesus, let us consider, sorry, friends, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. 
not neglecting to meet together, some are in the habit. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But there's a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him, he said. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But, re- but recall, recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to rep- reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better position, possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made of things that are visible. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever in our hearts. Let's go again to him in prayer. O Lord, as your body, as your church, as those who gather together, Lord, we have come to hear, Lord, after we have already sung of our salvation. We open your word, Jesus, that you would speak to us through it. Lord, that my words would fall away and that your words would come to our hearts that your spirit would speak truth as we need it. Jesus, as we come and we want to hear, we want to know what it means to grow in faith, to grow in faithfulness to you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we come with a great burden. For we are not those who are defined by our faithfulness. Jesus, we are those who more often are defined by fickleness. For we follow you when we are excited, when we are ready. And Jesus, we fall away so quickly. But Jesus, you have something more for your people. We know it. You have something to sustain us, to remind us day by day. And Jesus, we rejoice then that you have given us your word where we can see you. 
do this where we are built up, uh, not in resolve, but in the faithfulness of our King, in the faithfulness of You, our Savior. And so we ask as we come to Your Word, oh Jesus, let us see You. Let us see Christ. Let us see that which is the glory of all creation. Your name, Your work, Your mission. And Jesus, catch us up in that. Or bring us into that work. We ask this again and again in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, that's not going to last long. I was told I would probably end up having to take off my coat. And that was right. It's very hot. You know, as we look at faith, as we look at faithfulness, there's almost a paradox that we see. There's something actually I encounter on somewhat of a regular basis. As I minister with students, I minister kind of in an academic setting, doing RUF. I regularly hear this kind of, this paradox, if you will, of faith articulated to me. That faith and intellect, that faith and thoughtfulness are two things that are opposed. In fact, this past year I was having a conversation with two professors uh, at, at South Alabama. And as we sat and talked, uh, both of them talked about their background, that both of them grew up in religious settings and they walked away from the things that they had been raised in. One of them was Jewish, one of them had been raised Catholic, and both of them had slowly walked away. And I told them I was a campus minister and the, con- the conversation kind of opened up and they asked me things about what I believe and finally asked them, I said, why did you walk away from those things? You were raised in those things. What what led you to that? And this is what they had to say for me. They said, when I got to tough questions of life, when I got to difficult things that I was wrestling with, and I go and ask my religious leaders, whether it was their parents, their rab- rabbi, their priests, this was the response they were given. Have faith. Have faith. And, and for them, they knew this. To simply say have faith there was no substance that they had heard to go with that. And so faith and thinking, faith was just the way out of, of thinking deep about life, of thinking critically about difficult things. And as we come to this passage, as we come to Hebrews, as we consider the fruits of the Spirit, as we consider faithfulness, we need to ask ourselves, is this all faith is? Just a resolve simply to say that, you know what? We don't need to think about the world. That we don't need to consider these things and this is the proposition I want us to start with. And this actually comes, I got this from Tim Keller. He kind of summed it down this way. He asserted that actually faith is something we engage our entire hearts. We engage our entire minds in. And he suggests this. He says that thinking or thoughtfulness is essential to faith. In fact, the reason he says, or he suggests, that the reason there's not much faith today is because there's not much thinking. That is, the end of deep thought is actually the thing that leads us to meaningful faith. That's what their leaders, they, they didn't do. Faith was just an ignoring of difficult things. And yet, as we go into the deep things, Jesus says, as we go in and see the world, we actually can come and bring those things before God and see how He addresses them. See how He brings light to those things. I had another conversation. Actually, just this past week on Friday, I was talking with a student He's a member of, we've gotten to know, or I've gotten to know, I guess, a good group of 
students that are part of the SSA, the Secular Student Alliance. Some of y'all might be part of something like that now. It's actually a discussion group. They just they talk about different issues. Most of them, 90% of them, are probably atheists. Some of them are maybe deists. Some of them are maybe agnostic. Uh, some of them are maybe Buddhists, different places. And one of the students named Julius, he and I have gotten to know each other. We were playing Frisbee golf. That's my means, just so you know. I do play a lot of Frisbee golf. It is like one of the best means of conversation with students. And we walk, and we throw the Frisbee, and we talk. And, and he likes to ask, actually, honest questions. He's really wrestling in order to try to discern and understand the truth. And he was telling me this. And he said this, as I I wrestle for truth, as I wrestle for understanding the world, this is what he said. He said, I've realized that when I come to the end of these things, there is a point where the things that I learn, the things that I'm studying, I have to actually embrace by faith. And I realized this, and we kind of talked about this for a while, as much as we can lay things out, Faith is not the foolish settling for, for unknowledge, for, 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 for not knowing things. But it's a wise embracing of, 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 of something that we can't comprehend. And what I suggested to him is that this is why faith sits so central to the Christian gospel. It's not that there's a not thoughtfulness, but that we go into God and God makes sense of the world. And we embrace and we engage Him through faith. You see, this is the reality, is that meaningful faith has a content. And what we see here in Hebrews, and what we actually read out of uh, Galatians 5, is that faith and faithfulness has a content. And that content for us, the content for the church, the content for Christians, and actually the content for the world, is that which God reveals to us. It's Christ. And faith for the Christian moves here. It begins here. You see, we don't move to Christ simply because there's no other way to go. And that's where Julius and I differ. His resolve is because he, to, to not believe in God, because he just feels there's no other way to go. But it's this. It's, it's that we are moving towards Christ, and our faith is the intentional anchoring of ourselves in Jesus, who was a particular person in history, who's done a particular work, and who comprehends the real state of the brokenness of our world, and who through him brings salvation you have to understand for the hebrews as they as the hebrews wrote to them they were people in persecution they had a world set against them they knew affliction you see it in the passage as the hebrews he's encouraging them he's saying don't uh, renounce your faith don't walk away from the church don't walk away from the body of christ but recall the things that christ has done he knows that there is challenges there are things coming in he says listen Remember who Christ is. Remember the reality of what He has done. Because this is what sustains you. A faith in a particular person. A faith in Christ. This is what we see. Faithfulness grows from faith and its object. So the first thing we see is that we have a particular object of our faith. This is clear in the passage. Actually, it's clear in all Hebrews. Hebrews 1 through uh, up to... 10, 18 is actually telling us the full picture of what Christ has done. Christ, our King, the one who is above all things, the one who sat next to God, who is above the angels, how He came into the world and how He is a high King. And then what does He do? How He is the high priest. How He came and He interceded. How He brought salvation. See, the first thing we see is that Christ sits as the object of our faith. 
That's what that first verse of chapter 11, it brings us in this reality. And that's what we see as we consider the object of our faith. The Hebrews gives us this definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The thing that we hope for is actually a backwards look as we look and hope and rest in what Christ has done. But notice what he calls it. He doesn't just say it's a general hope. Again, it's not just a hope, a wishful thinking. It's an assured hope. It's a hope that's set in the reality of Christ who has come. It is a hope that's in Jesus. You see, there's a difference between then an assured hope and an unsure hope, right? There's hope that's wishful thinking, and there's hope that we know and rest in. A hope that's wishful thinking is this. I'm an Alabama fan. I hope we win another national championship next year. I have no idea. All the conditions are there. I have reasons for the hope, but I don't know. Some might argue otherwise that things are rigged. I hope in that, but that's an unsure hope. And I understand that, and I comprehend that, and that's how I interact with it, is an unsure hope. But a sure hope is actually more like this. It's not something like that. It's actually more about like my relationship with my two children, Lanier and Camille. My children understand, and they hope in this reality of the identity, that I am their dad, and that Leslie is their mom, and that we are going to take care of them, that we are going to do what's best for them. And for them, that relationship that historical things that go back and that they know as they go forward, there's an assured hope for them. They don't wonder about the day. They don't wonder whether or not we care for them each day. They're assured of it. Now, we fail in a lot of those things, but you understand what I'm saying. And our assured hope in God, it's like that as we come, as, as the Hebrew says, the hope is, uh, faith is an assurance of things hoped for. It's saying, listen, all that God has done... That is established. It's not undoable. When Christ died on the cross for forgiveness of sins, when He redeemed, when He made the pledge of redemption, those things are sure. Those things are secure. And this is the assured hope of the Christian. We enter into that, though, through faith. We begin to rest in those things. We begin to embrace those things. And we see Christ. We see Him as the object of our faith. You see, ultimately, our faith is stirred up as we see that. And so many scriptures, they really present this clearly. And if so many have hoped in this before, that Christ is the one who has lived and done, died the death we should have died. And this is what drives us to the next reality then. So we see Christ. We see the object of our faith. Well, here's the other thing he says, the Hebrew says. He says that it is a conviction of the things not seen. It's a conviction of the things not seen. So that which we can see, that which we actually God has given us His Word to read and to study and to know, that which we can see, that which is assured, that which is done, actually drives us to the things that are unseen. Drives us to the things that are unseen of what God is doing. And this deals just simply with this. What God will do. It deals with His promises. And this is the view of faith, actually, that the Hebrewists, and I think that I want to encourage us towards this morning is that not just a faith in, in Christ's redemptive work. I'm going to assume that a little bit this morning for us as Christians, that we have faith in the redemptive work of Christ. But we also have faith, and it derives from that as we look to the place where God is moving his people. A conviction of the unseen for the Hebrews in light of their persecution is that that persecution within, with them in glory with their heavenly Father. That they had an eternal redemption. Hebrews lays this out in so many ways. That they have an eternal redemption, a sure redemption. That Christ reigns, that, Christ, 
Christ came, Christ reigns, and that He is going to be the one who redeems. But notice there's too a warning here, and this moves us towards our second point. That as we consider our object, there's actually a warning here because as we consider who Christ is, as we consider the substance of our faith, the Hebrews also understands that there's a temptation to run away from that. That there's a temptation to say that Christ is not good enough. To look Christ in the face, to look our salvation in the face and say, that's not good enough for me. In verses 26, we're not going to go through all this, and that's not my intent. But verse 26 through 31, it's actually this warning for us as Christians to continue to remember those things which came before. To continue to remember our salvation, as Scripture says in other places, to reflect and to remember your baptism. That's why we continue to do baptism as a church. Something that we can reflect and look back on, a reminder that Christ, through His blood, has washed us clean to remember and reflect on those things so we'd be sustained forward. William Lane, a commentator on this passage, he said it this way. He said, committing themselves, God, speaking in the Hebrews, or speaking of Christians, sorry, committing themselves, God who is set fast, uh, sorry, no, speaking of the examples ahead, the examples of faith in Hebrews in action were themselves made steadfast. As we fix our eyes on Christ, as we settle our eyes on the object of our faith, that's actually the origin, that's the basis, that's the sustaining reality for those who are wrestling to be faithful. You see, faith is built, faith is strong, faith is sustainable as the object of our faith is that for us. And this brings us to our response. That those, that as we see we have a worthy object of faith, we begin to live in faith. Every part of obedience, every part of the rest of the Christian life derives from this confidence and faith we have in Christ. From our understanding, look what he says. He moves after he says in verse 1, he moves, that it, it, it comprehends and it moves us even to our understanding of the origins of the universe and all that matters and all matter and all that matters in the universe to the present realities of what it means that we walk with Christ and even to where we are going to glory. Sinclair Ferguson, I, I pulled out a ton of quotes. There's so many men that I was, as I was reading and as I was studying, they had some, so much wiser words as they're looking at the Scripture. And I actually encourage y'all, there's a sermon, there are a couple sermons online by Sinclair Ferguson that he did on Hebrews 10 through 11 uh, that are actually from Second Pres, Columbia. I encourage you to go download those. They're wonderful. And they'll be great encouragement to you. But he said this, Sometimes we think of faith as a thing, as if it was a substance, and therefore it's something that you have or you don't have. But Hebrews make clear, and this is where we see that faith is not just kind of a settling, it's not just a, a something we just possess just to kind of fix our lives, but that it's a whole worldview, it's something we enter into thoughtfully. But Hebrews makes clear that faith is not a substance that God gives us to possess and that operates in the same way all the time. Faith, though, is this. Faith is the whole life that we live in response to the God we have and the promises that He makes. And you'll see I kind of outlined even our response follows the backwards look of Christ's redemption and the securing of his work that we faith first faithfulness has this reality of a looking backwards of embracing that which has come before us knowing Christ's redemptive work and the real forgiveness this first sub point you'll see understanding and connecting to this forgiveness that we have in Christ focusing on what we already seen he says Holding fast, for example, he says, holding fast to our confession. That's where this comes in from the passage. 
that we hold fast to the confession we have in Christ. And that we fix, as we even look ahead, and we already even confessed this morning, we fix our eyes on Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We look back. We fix our eyes upon the cross. We meditate there. We stay there and we remember it. Some of you may have seen or, or read or watched the play uh, Les Mis. I enjoyed it this past week for the, actually the first time. and watched the movie that just came out. And I encourage you again, another, another thing to pick up. And there's this character, Jean Valjean. At the beginning of the movie, he's just getting out of prison. And as he's trying to kind of make his way against all odds, he steals the silver of this priest who's actually given him a place to rest. And, this, and what happens in the moment is that the police come and they're ready to arrest him. They say, he's taking your silver. We're going to put him in jail. And the priest simply says, listen, you forgot something. And he goes and he grabs a couple more silver candlesticks and he gives them to Jean Valjean. And what you see is that throughout the movie and throughout the story, actually you see those candlesticks sitting in the background periodically when Jean Valjean is at his house. That regularly he is remembering where he came from. And regularly he is remembering the grace that was shown him. And what you see in the the story of Jean Valjean is that a man who is transformed as he has shown grace. And that's where we meditate. We look back onto the grace that we've been given. We look at our sin. We actually look deeply into our brokenness. And we look at Christ who is redeeming us. You see, faith has this this backwards-looking aspect to us. And faithfulness has that same aspect. And there's also this reality, too, that faith obviously is a present reality. In fact, faithfulness captures that present, sustained, enduring reality of walking with Jesus. As we look at uh, again, the, uh, as we were to combine all the fruits of the Spirit, probably the best interpretation is that it's saying faithfulness. This aspect, this thing that we carry of those who are in Christ, uh, that there's a present reality that we walk in faith with Jesus. I think this is what verses 24 and 25, that's what they're talking about. That what we do as a church is we stir one another up to good works and we don't stop meeting together. And here's what I think actually the Hebrews is probably saying in simpler words. He's saying, listen, present faithfulness for the Christian looks like being the church. It looks like being the bride of Christ, those who identify with Jesus, those who know who makes them beautiful. It looks like those who come together, we gather and we encourage one another on a regular basis. We do worship together. When those who are in need of help, we go and we serve them. We remember who we are. We, we become a body that sustains and supports each other. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ too, is that it's not just an inward feeding, an inward sustainability, but the body of Christ actually becomes this body that works itself out into the world and begins to reflect and to redeem those things around us. And it's the present reality of faithfulness that we are steadfastly able to go in to the circles that God has put us in. For some of y'all, I mean, it means in, in, in practical ways for mothers and fathers... This is the thing we need to grasp onto in, in regular ways about how we pastor and lead our children. That, that present faithfulness is a, is a reality of, of living our identity in Jesus before our kids. Living our need of Christ before them. Because there's no other way, if, if we're only living by our just desserts before Jesus, we're only living based on maybe merit for Christ. We're not remembering our forgiveness in the present realities. Here's how we're going to treat our kids. We're going to treat our kids in the same way based on their just desserts. 
That's not how you love children, is it? You don't love children based on what they deserve. You love children because of who they are. That's how Christ loves us. That's how Christ sustains us. And that's how faithfulness actually moves us into the world. We love those. We love Christ's church. We love those around us. We love our neighbors, and we are with them. I, I really think of this. Uh, I love Mumford and Sons, and I was listening to a song actually yesterday, and it came to my mind again. There's a song in their new CD, Babel, and, it, and there's the chorus, and they sing it over and over, and it's them saying, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. And, and it, it reflects on why they're waiting. And the main thing you see is that there's one, he says, I remember the forgiveness you have given me. I remember how you have stayed with me, how you have sustained me, and so I will wait for you. This is what we do as Christians. We're thinking of the promises of God. We say, I will wait for you, O God. And here's the beautiful thing, and I, I realize as I listen to it, that this is actually the chorus that Christ sings to his people as he wrestles with us, as he brings us to himself, that he says, Christian, I will wait for you. I will continue to, to uh, pursue you. I will continue to call you to myself. I will wait for you. We see this, this tying together of Christ's faithfulness and our faithfulness. Finally, we see what he says and what he encourages them. He says, listen, you need to do these things all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more as you see, he's talking about the day where, where uh, God comes and all things are being uh, finally redeemed, where glory is beginning to be established on earth, where his reign uh, through Christ becomes uh, that which pervades and is uh, revealed in all things. He says, all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, this is the reality. Committed faith, faithfulness, it always has a future look. And it acts in the present in light of the future. Faith celebrates this again from William Lane. Faith celebrates the objective reality, the demonstrations that have come in the past, of what, that what God has promised will be realized in the future. Faith has this future look, this future embracing of the glory of, of the things that are before us. And for you who play sports, it, it's, like, it's like he's saying this, and he actually does go on to say this, keep your eye on the prize. That's what we tell you know, kids. Listen, remember, remember the championship. That's what we're working towards. That's what we're going towards. And later in Hebrews 12, as he encourages the Hebrews towards faithfulness, he says, listen, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the one who is the author, the one who is the perfecter of our faith. See, faith, it looks forward. As we look forward, as we see the security of our hope forward, it actually steadfastly puts us in the present. That we can pour ourselves out, that we can pour our lives into each other. All these things that come together is this reality of growing in grace as we believe the gospel. I mean, faith backwards is, is this. The growing in the grace and the knowledge that we are those who are forgiven, we are those who are redeemed. And faith in the present is this, is growing in the grace and the knowledge that Christ is actually doing a present work through His church. That He has a mission, He has a plan of where He's going to minister His gospel. And growing in grace in this, as we look to, as we embrace, as we uh, our hope of glory. And what I've noticed, and, and the reason I sum it up kind of this way is because I've noticed, and this is I've noticed this particular sense, is what we actually really tend to miss as Christians in our aspects of faith. If you look at the dimensions of faith, 
is that we actually really miss the last two. We know the gospel of grace. We know the gospel of forgiveness. Now, don't get me wrong. We're still wrestling with that. But actually, it's quick on our tongue. And yet we have a hard time realizing that Christ is doing present works. I struggle with students all the time. Why is Christ not doing more in my life? Why is Christ not doing what I want Him to do? And what I do is I point them to the church where Christians gather together, where redeemed people proclaim and remember their salvation. Where Christ is proclaiming His grace. Where through sacraments, where through the Lord's Supper, where through baptism, Christ tells His people over and over, you are mine. But then this too, they forget the end. We forget the end. We're grateful for forgiveness, but we forget where we're going. We forget where God is taking us. We forget uh, the works ahead and the secure salvation that allows us in many ways to die to ourselves daily because we know Christ. We know we have Jesus. We have to keep these things together. I want you to notice this before we get to our conclusion. That faith does not mean this. Faith does not mean comprehending all things. Faith does not mean that we understand all of Scripture, that we understand all of what God is doing. But again, it's not that settling that we were talking about at the beginning. Faithful, faith and faithfulness is actually this. It's actually intellectual. It's a, a real acknowledging that we are those who cannot comprehend the universe, but that Jesus Christ does. See, the more we believe and rest in the sufficiency of Jesus, the more present then we're able to be. The more present our faith then transforms our lives. And this is what I want to close with, an illustration again. Is that, and it comes from Psalm 1 actually, it comes from Scripture, something that Scripture has already laid out. And I preach these Psalms with my students this past semester. And Psalm 1 builds this picture of who is the righteous man. And I think actually that word righteousness used at the beginning of Psalms, it could be used for several different traits of the Christian. You could put the different fruits of the Spirit. The one who is, uh, loves peace. The one who is patient. The one who is kind. The one who is faithful. And it talks about this man and who this man is. And if you'll flip over to me, you can look at that. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to open it up. And it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Here's what we see when we walk in faith, when we walk in the hope and the rest of God, and the, the work of redemption before us, and, and the future glory, this is what we become. And a friend actually shared this with me. He said this is what sticks in his mind. And you'll get this, you would get this especially if you lived in the Middle East. He says, we become oaks of righteousness. We become those who, who are deeply rooted. That's what the, this image is. is a tree planted by streams of water. Its roots grow deep and it's sustained regularly and always by the waters that run by it. As we rest in Jesus, we become those. We see the glory of the gospel and it begins to feed us and nourish us and sustain us. We become those who are built up. We become those who are sustained. We become, as he said, a mighty oak. 
Or as he actually said, my friend was saying, an oak of righteousness. And here's what that oak of righteousness does. And this is what I want to call your attention to. And this is the reality of faithfulness. And it's actually the reality of the fruits of the Spirit. That has fruits. And probably somebody's already said this as they were teaching on it. What we see is that fruits aren't for those who bear it. But that fruits are for those who actually, for those who are around us. And that faith in Christ begins to bear itself out on those around us. And that's what faithfulness is. Our rest in Jesus as it's brought into other people's lives. As it's brought into our children's. It's brought into our friends' lives. brought into our co-workers' lives. We've become a tree that bears fruit as we're sustained in Jesus. That gives shade. That gives rest. And here's another image. And this is, again, this is what you get from being a mobile. Is we think of this tree that's deeply rooted. There are only so many trees in Mobile that stand well up to the hurricanes. And the one that does the best, and it's amazing because Mobile's been through so many terrible hurricanes. But there are these trees called live oaks. I actually I wrote like an article on it. Some of y'all might have read that. But there are these trees that are live oaks, and they have these deep roots that go all the way down to the water table, and they go way, way out. And no matter how bad the storms are, these trees are always standing in the end. And these several hundred-year oaks, despite all the storms, always remain standing. And the picture of Scripture, the picture of Psalm 1 is actually that. That those who rest in Christ, those who know their salvation, those who are continually growing that, building it up, understanding it, comprehending it, all the dimensions of what Christ has done, they're those who weather every storm. They're those who are sustained. And here's the beauty too, and I want to close just with this final point. And it's what we see, actually, if you were to look forward in Psalm 2. Psalmist, he continues to lay it out, and he talks about the one who is the son. And it says this finally at the end. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What we actually see is that Psalm 1 is it leads us to becoming oaks of righteousness. This is what we see, and this is what we're actually brought full circle into. into. Is that the man of Psalm 1 who is truly faithful, the man who is truly righteous is Christ our Savior. And that we begin to participate and partake of the fruits and the stability and the safety of His presence. This is what we have as Christians. This is actually what we come to the table to celebrate. We come to remember our King who is faithful, our King who has gone before us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're stronger than us and that you're a sustainer for us, that we, Jesus, are built up into a tree and grafted on as br- into branches, Lord, of a tree that doesn't pass. Lord, that every storm that endures, Lord Jesus, you do that for us. And we pray that you would help us to endure, help us to rest in you, to never lose sight of, of who you are, of what you have done, and where you are taking us. Oh, Lord, do that so that we may be those who bear out to the world the love of Christ, that we may be faithfully present among our community, that we may be faithful lovers of our spouses, that we may be faithful parents to our children, that we may be faithful children to our parents, that we may be faithful friends to our neighbors. Jesus, remind and control us with this fixed reality of of your work. We ask it again in Christ's name. Amen.